it's gonna be good. You know what? I'll wake you up. Don't worry. Oh, uh, well, first. Be... What? Well, I was gonna say there's something that we should talk about to wake up our viewers. Listeners. Fuck. <laughs> viewers, listeners. People What's up, of the guys? World. Welcome to my channel. Yeah. Haley, you do you have anything it? you want to share with the class? <laughs> yeah. Some, some <laughs> I people like how follow... neither of us want to talk about it, and yet. Oh, by the way, this we is both crime want culture. To talk about it. That's Caitlin. I'm Caitlin. That's Caitlin. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Haley. That's Haley. Yep. That's and Haley. some like a few people, very few people follow my personal account. So if you follow my personal account, you'll already know this. I also might have posted something now that I think about it. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so, cuz some people follow your personal account because too, right? I cried for like 4 days. Yeah. So, uh if anybody doesn't know me and our podcast uh, sound engineer uh, have been dating for a very long time. 11 years! 11 years. And last weekend we got engaged! Woo! I'm so happy. Yeah. Haley video chatted me and was like, I need to see if my new video camera works. And I was like, okay. And then she was like, bam. And I was like, I video you chatted you. to see if it I works. I video chatted you directly after we recorded last episode. Yes, yes. Because I was like, if I do this before, we will not get anything done. Yes, and if she said, and she was correct because I cried. I'm not kidding. I cried for four days straight. Um, yeah. I cried at work. It's, I cried in the car. I cried in bed. I cried on the couch. I cried everywhere. I um, haven't cried yet. So you, I've cried enough for the both of us. So that's fine. That's good. But no. And I, but if anybody's exciting. wondering why last episode Haley sounded like she just wanted this shit to be done and over with, that's why. I was excited to tell you, but also, um, I have just gotten my voice back from a sinus infection, so I wanted it to be done and over because my throat was on fire. That's fair. That's true, yeah. and that's fair. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we're gonna get to the episode, and if we have time at the end, I can tell the proposal story <gasps> because uh, people I love it people can skip it if they don't care so um, let's just get into the episode yeah fuck it so yeah it's a good one too on a high note so we can get to the low note because today we're talking about richard ramirez lots of people have asked for it somebody actually just commented because we had talked about richard ramirez briefly on our um who we'd cast episode and somebody actually just found that post from like however long ago and commented and was like do you prefer zach via or ezra miller be honest and i'm like wait 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 but also ezra miller anyway yes so we both chose ezra miller yeah we both we chose ezra cast. miller no one's going to change our minds and also not that he's not doing I mean, a good job, but AHS has yeah. taken a lot of liberties. Yeah. I would say, like, other people playing it would be good, but, like, I think Ezra Miller would be, like, Perfect. incredible. Yes. Yeah. They're yeah. amazing, and we love them. Yes. Um, But, yes, jumping right into it. So, Ricardo Leva Muniz Ramirez was born on February 29th, 1960, in El Paso, Texas, as the youngest of five children born to Mexican immigrants Mercedes and Julian Ramirez. And according to A&E, 
Mercedes worked in a factory surrounded by a lot of chemicals and there wasn't really much ventilation and they weren't supplied with face masks and the working conditions were just like shit. Yeah. But she was doing all of this while pregnant with all of her children. Ugh. Yeah. Already just a recipe for something nefarious. Yeah, it really, it could be attributed, many think, to why Ramirez ended up being so fucked up because... Also, all of his siblings ended up with birth defects, which ranged from respiratory issues to bone deformities. Wow. Who knows? I mean, maybe it could definitely be a factor. But I also think like he had like crazy eyes from a young age. Like he was definitely. Yeah. Not just wait. Not just crazy eyes. Yeah. Um, And also just I want to point out a quick aside. If bone deformities is a thing, maybe that's how he got his cheekbones. That is true. He does Mm. have. He does have the highest cheekbones. He's got I've maleficent seen. cheekbones. Yes. Um, but so yeah, lots of birth defects. But beyond that, he had a pretty shitty childhood, and this is where Crazy Eyes comes in. Yeah. First of all, his dad was a former Mexican police officer in Juarez, and he later became a laborer on the Santa Fe Railroad. He mm-hmm. had anger issues, and he was physically abusive. Great. So we got daddy issues. We got Check. chemical poisoning. Mm-hmm. What do you think we're missing? Um, I don't know. Mother issues? Well, no, but... A head injury? Shut up. Um, <laughs> so first of all, to cope with his dad, one of his brothers, I just realized I didn't mention this, started to huff glue. Oh. And so then Ramirez started to participate in this act when he was nine. Oh, my God. So drug use from a young age. Yeah. But this technically doesn't count as drug use. But you know what I mean? Juvenile drug use. Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. No, no, but I wouldn't say. Yeah, I wouldn't say glue is a drug. But you know what I mean? He was getting high for a nine year old. I mean, yeah. But mostly when you think of like glue being a drug for a nine year old, it's because they play too much arts and crafts. I guess. Regardless, when he was two. He suffered a head injury when a dresser fell on him. I don't know how the fuck that could happen, but whatever. Um, And then he suffered another one at the age of five when he hit his head on a swing set. And to get this kid a helmet. Exactly. But actually, that that one actually, he had to get stitches. Yeah, that's how hard he hit the thing. And he also suffered from epilepsy until he was 15 as a result. Oh, yeah, but also epilepsy causes damage to the brain on top of the head injuries. So yep, it's like, exactly. boom, boom, boom. Like, if we're all playing bingo, he's doing a lot. He's doing a lot. Yeah, we're almost there, and it's just the We basically the hit bingo, and we're like five minutes in. But yeah, so apparently when he was 12 years old, his cousin Mike, a decorated Green Beret vet who fought in Vietnam, told him a lot of fucked up stories about his time during the war, and even showed him Polaroid pictures of a bunch of Vietnamese women that he had allegedly raped, tortured, and killed during the war. I think I remember hearing about this. Yeah, it's when, super fucked. When hearing about uh, Richard Ramirez stuff, like, that's gross. Oh, you want to hear gross? Some of the pictures included Mike holding the severed heads of his victims. Yeah, you can see now how this, this is, guy. how this has started. Yes, he's 12. Um... So then Mike was also that's the one. A, whoop, go that, ahead. That's a thing, too, is like I've heard a lot of um, talk about when 
um, they're talking about serial killers' childhoods. They see all of this kind of crazy stuff when they're in their like puberty years. Yeah, that they start relating this horrific stuff to the weird to how things they're, they're feeling. feeling in their bodies. Yeah, yeah, and they think like, okay, I'm feeling all these weird things. Well, this makes me feel a certain way. Let me pursue <laughs> this. Makes me feel some type of way. <laughs> yeah, it it is very interesting to to hear about like the childhoods and like yeah find out when they all started what caused it uh seeing this this type of stuff yeah but so on top of that we talked about the huffing glue but like the actual drugs like real drugs not to say that glue isn't a real drug but it's not so mike was also the one who introduced ramirez to these drugs and he also taught him some of the military skills he picked up while fighting in the war and this included how to kill people with stealth. Mm. Yeah. So this led Ramirez to start committing petty crimes, like breaking and entering. And it was around that time that Ramirez, who was, he was an altar boy. He was raised in a strict, devout Catholic family. He began sleeping in graveyards to avoid his dad's abuse, he said. Mm. But it's also when he kind of developed an interest in Satan. Okay. So, because of all of these factors, Ramirez went from being this good Catholic boy to rebelling and alienating himself from his parents and the people around him. Yeah. Then shit gets worse. Because remember, he's still 12. So, yeah. on May 4th, 1973, Pierre's birthday, he's 13 at this point, and he witnesses his cousin, Mike, shoot his wife, Jessie, in the face with a revolver, killing her. They were and having is, an argument. This is somebody he kind of looks up to, it seems. This cousin, Mike. Yeah. Because he's hung out with him. Like, he, he's, like, teaching him stuff. Kind of acting sort of like a father figure that he actually wants. Rather yeah. than the abusive dad that he has. Yeah. So, he sees this. And, like, what kind of synapse fires in your brain when you see something crazy like that somebody you, you look up to doing something like this exactly and it also goes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier with associating it with love and sex because again he's 13 and this is his wife not ramirez's wife but yeah Mike's wife. Th- yeah his, his uh his cousin's wife yeah um but yeah so mike was found not guilty of jesse's murder by reason of insanity and was incarcerated at the texas state mental hospital And while Mike was the one who murdered his own wife, Ramirez was at the scene of the crime and didn't do anything to stop it, which I think would fuck, like, anybody up, but, like, a kid? Forget it. Damage City. So much baggage, this episode should be sponsored by Away. But, anyway. It makes sense that Ramirez became sullen and withdrawn from his family and his friends after the shooting. And then later that year, he... So, he's got this emotional turmoil... But mm-hmm. then he's also, things are, he's got a lot of unrest at home, and he yeah. moves out of his home with his parents and in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, which would have been great if Roberto wasn't a peeping Tom who frequently brought Ramirez along for the ride. Again, yeah, he's 13. he's getting, yeah, it's like, he's picking up all of these little pieces that he'll eventually, like, form his own Mm -hmm. uh character by like Mm -hmm. all of these all of these father figures it seems are teaching him little bits his abusive dad his uh cousin mike who uh, 
it seems to have severe PTSD. Um, yeah, and then, uh, it sounds Roberto, like it, who's, at the very who's least. Doing, yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty crazy to hear about all that. Yeah, it's, whew, it's a recipe for disaster. But um, it's painting a very clear picture. Yeah, no, and it's, it's setting the foundation. Yeah, there's, there's no guessing how he became the way uh, he is a criminal yeah yeah or was um but so yeah ramirez at this time also started experimenting with harder drugs like lsd and began to develop an interest in satanism as opposed to just being interested in satan and by the time he hit ninth grade he dropped out of school so then wow uh, yeah and what was he gonna do his parents what were his parents gonna do yeah they weren't they weren't parenting him Um, Yeah, they didn't seem to really care too much. Yeah. So then at 15, he got a job at the local Holiday Inn, where he used his passkey to rob sleeping guests. So there's that breaking and entering thing again. Yep. And in 1977, so Ramirez is about 17 now, 16, 17. Mike was released from the mental hospital. He was sentenced to after four years. So his influence over Ramirez picked back up again. And between not getting the help that Ramirez needed and his shitbag cousin being back in his life, Ramirez really began to associate sex with violence, and this included forced bondage and rape. Mm. So finally, one hotel guest at the Holiday Inn returned to his room to find Ramirez attempting to rape his wife. So naturally, dude got fired and the husband beat the shit out of him. But... All charges against Ramirez were dropped because the couple lived out of state and didn't want to come back to testify against him. Wow. Yeah. So, not surprisingly, around this time, apparently Ramirez was also sent to a juvenile detention center for a series of petty crimes. Um, And then in 1982, he was also put on probation for marijuana possession. Mm -hmm. But soon after being sentenced to probation, he's around 22 at this time, Ramirez moved to L.A. and continued to commit burglaries because he'd moved on from LSD to a $1,500 a month coke habit and therefore needed the money to afford it. So he was breaking into people's houses, stealing their things, stealing cars, so long, so on and so forth. Sounds like a great guy. Yep. And like any great guy, the law caught up with him. And ultimately, he was sent to jail briefly again for stealing a car. Mm. Remember this. Okay. Do not forget it. Don't forget it like I did my steamed vegetables the other night and they burned to a crisp. Stole a car, went to jail for it. Stole a car, went to jail for it. Remember that. So then on April 10th, 1984, Ramirez is believed to have committed his first known murder when he lured nine-year-old Mei Leung to the basement of the hotel where he was living in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. He raped and beat Mei before stabbing her to death and hung her body from a pipe. It's believed that this may have been sacrificial because the way she was hung, she was hung like Jesus on the cross. Okay. Yeah. And he was like deep into Satanism at this yes. point, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So then in 2009, he was implicated in this murder. It went unsolved up until that point. Um, They found his DNA was at the scene. And Mm -hmm. so they were going to convict him of this murder after his initial convictions. 
But in 2016, officials found the DNA of a second suspect retrieved from the scene who's believed to have been present during the murder. And Mm. they were a minor at the time, so they couldn't release the person's name. And then, long story short, Ramirez was never charged for this crime because of lack of evidence. Okay. So then on June 28th, 1984, Ramirez committed his next, I guess, like, we would call it his definite murder since, like, he gets charged for this one. Yeah. Um... And in this case, he broke into the Glassell Park, Los Angeles apartment of 79-year-old widow Jenny Vinkow and raped her before stabbing her to death. Um, her mm. son, Jack, later arrived at his mother's apartment to find a window screen missing and a room in disarray. He soon found his mother, who had been stabbed so much that her throat was slashed almost from ear to ear. <sighs> yeah, to the point that she was nearly decapitated. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, Investigators also found fingerprints on the screen that was lying on the floor that Ramirez had used to get in. But given that it's 1984 and DNA and fingerprinting isn't as prevalent or fast as it is today, it wasn't like they were able to identify him immediately. And if they were able to, maybe that would have stopped him from what he was about to do. But regardless, it did not. But he waited about... In all these cases, there's so many moments of, like, if they had just noticed this one thing or if they had gotten evidence from this one crime, then it could have been, like, instead of a serial killer, he could have been, like, a one-off killer. Right. Right. And we never would have known about him. We never would have heard about him again. And maybe even he could have gotten the help he needed um, before being too far gone. Although I don't know about him. I don't know how much help he could have gotten there are some people that like can be helped and then there are some people that are so deep in it that it's like it's ingrained in them and i think that is him true i guess what i mean is they could have put him in a mental hospital and he could have been there for the rest of his life as opposed to yeah. out on there's the no way he was gonna yeah there's no way he was going back out into society as yeah. a normal person yes. but um yeah so he waited about nine months before picking his murder spree back up and at 11 p.m on saint patrick's day in 1985 22 year old maria hernandez arrived home and hit the button to close her garage door at her condo and as she started to open the door into her home ramirez who had snuck in before the door could close fully appeared and put a gun to her face (sighs) hernandez raised her hand to shield her face and ramirez fired the gun to shoot her in the face But because she lifted her hand to try to protect herself at the same time he pulled the trigger, the bullet ended up ricocheting off her keys that she was holding. Oh, my God. And yeah, and did not hit her in the face. And so she fell to the floor. She stayed still. Yeah, I fucking know. Stayed still, pretended to be unconscious. And Ramirez walked past her, didn't bother to check on her. um, And then shot her roommate, 34-year-old Dale Okazaki, who had heard all of this and hid behind their kitchen counter. Mm. And so then when she lifted her head to try to peek over the counter to see if he was there, he shot her in the head. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So then outside the apartment, after this went down, the police found a clue, which was a blue ACDC baseball cap. Okay. Again, 
can't really do like DNA. So it's not like they found a hair sample or anything, but it was like one more thing. And actually yeah. later an associate of Ramirez's would testify that it looked similar to one that he frequently would wear. Okay. So about an hour after he murdered Okazaki, he, or 30-year-old Sylian or Veronica Yu, was driving in suburban Los Angeles when Ramirez forced her off the road in Monterey Park. As Yu struggled and screamed, help me, a few witnesses saw Ramirez push Yu away and then sped off. She crawled a mm. short distance and then laid still where they saw that she had been shot twice in the chest at close range. Oof. Yes. And while the paramedics who arrived on the scene found her unconscious but breathing, she ultimately was pronounced dead by the time she reached the hospital. Mm. So the two murders and the attempted third murder of Hernandez in a single day attracted extensive coverage from the news media, who dubbed the curly-haired attacker with bulging eyes and wide-spaced, rotting teeth the walk-in killer and valley intruder. Mm. And I said I use these descriptors because that's all they had to go on at this point. They were like, all right, yeah. curly hair, bulging eyes, shitty teeth. Yeah, that was a big identifier with him, too, is like he had shitty teeth and his uh, breath smelled like liquid death. Yes, because because he was spending so much money on coke that he not only didn't really care, but he couldn't like afford food dental care. or dental care or anything like that. But no, he was just living off sugary drinks and sugary food. But didn't he also have, um, what is it called? Like halitosis, that thing that makes your breath smell real bad? I mean, like, yeah, but by not brushing your teeth and by having only yeah. sugar and your teeth rotting out of your head, yes, you get halitosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or if you had acid reflux like I did growing up, that was a fun time in middle school. But anyway, 11 days later, at about 2 a.m., Ramirez struck again and broke into the home of Maxine and Vincent Cesara. He had broken into their Whittier, California home about a year before and had robbed it, just ransacked the whole fucking place. Mm. But this time he took it a step further. He shot Vincent in the head before raping and murdering Maxine and mutilating her body. And it is at this point that I want people who are squeamish like me to skip about 10, 15 seconds because this shit gets real graphic real fast. All right. Haley, you don't get to skip. So, I don't get to skip. You don't get the privilege of skipping. Maxine was awakened by her husband getting shot. And Ramirez beat her and bound her hands and demanded that she tell him where they kept their valuables. While he ransacked the room, Maxine was able to get out of her bondage, grabbed a shotgun from under the bed, and it turned out it wasn't loaded. <sighs> so this pissed Ramirez off to no end. And he shot her three times, then grabbed a large carving knife from the kitchen. If you've skipped 15 seconds and I'm still going, keep skipping. Um, okay. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then gouged her eyes out and placed them in the jewelry box, which he left with. <sighs> and many criminologists have associated the whole eye gouging thing by killers to be paranoia, which will, which yeah. will yeah, that makes show, sense. yeah, people will see that in a minute based on other things that he says and does it sucks because like this bad bitch like was fighting yep. back yeah and like got out of her her bindings and like yep. got the shotgun and like oh my god it wasn't loaded mm -hmm. like 
Mm-hmm. Why do you have a shotgun? On the I was bed about to say, what's the point of having a gun? Know. Like, uh, but we're not going to get into this. We're not going to get into this right now. It's just so frustrating because, like, she was so close. To, yeah. Like, yeah. Blowing this guy's brains out. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. There will be others. Um. But yeah. So these Azara's bodies were found on the bed by their son Peter. It's definitely been more than fifteen seconds now. Keep skipping. Um. <laughs> because Maxine had been shot in the head and neck at close range stabbed in her neck stabbed in her cheek her chest her abdomen and pubic area the letter t had been carved into her body above her left breast and Mm. as i mentioned before her eyes had been cut out and while it's known ramirez carried them out in a jewelry box her eyes were never found Mm. okay so at the scene of the crime ramirez left footprints from a pair of obvious sneakers in the flower beds which the police photographed and cast because besides, like, the hat and the fingerprint that they couldn't really do much with at that point, this was pretty much the only evidence they had at the time. Yeah. So when the bullets found at the scene of this crime were matched to those found at the previous attacks, the police realized that a serial killer was on the loose. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a quick aside here to talk about Ramirez and his M.O., um, didn't really care about who his victims were, but he did care about what he used and how he did things and what he did. So okay. he used a wide variety of weapons, handguns, knives, a machete, which we'll get into, a tire iron, which we'll get into, um, hammers, things like that. And most of the murders were committed in the Los Angeles area and occurred during home invasions. Most of them. Okay. Um, and his victims were often sexually assaulted and beaten, and satanic symbols were found at a bunch of the crime scenes. Okay. So, so the media started referring to him as the Night Stalker, and this created a panic that saw a surge in gun sales. And mm. it also created a panic because this is around, like, summertime, and this was one of the hottest summers Los Angeles had experienced. Okay. So... It's not like everybody had central air. Yeah, no one wanted to keep their windows open. Exactly. And that's how a lot of times he found it so easy to gain entry. Okay. So on May 14, 1985, Ramirez returned to Monterey Park and broke into the home of 66-year-old William Doy and his wife Lillian, who was disabled. William was found badly beaten and had been shot. And Lillian had been tied up with thumb cuffs, which I was like, what the fuck is a thumb cuff? They're like handcuffs, but for your thumbs. Oh, God. I didn't even know that that was a thing. Did not know it was a thing either. But yeah, fucking thumb cuffs. Um, And then Ramirez raped her before robbing the doys. And William ultimately died of his injuries at the hospital. Mm. So then on May 29th, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen Mercedes Benz to Monrovia, California and broke into the home of sisters Florence Nettie Lang, age 81, and Mabel Ma Bell, age 83. Lang was severely beaten with a hammer and tied to her bed, while Bell was tied up, beaten, and electrocuted. Ugh. Yeah. After raping Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh, as well as on the walls of both of their bedrooms, where they were found two mm. days later comatose but alive. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Bell later died of her injuries. Mm. So the next day, Ramirez drove the same Mercedes to Burbank and broke into the home of 42-year-old single mom Carol Kyle and her 11-year-old son. 
He tied up Kyle and then forced her son into a closet wearing handcuffs. And then at this point, he started to rob the house. Mm -hmm. He untied Kyle, saying that he wanted her to show him where their valuables were. But then he sodomized her repeatedly. Uh, Ramirez also kept telling her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would, quote, cut her eyes out, end quote. But see, that's where the paranoia starts to come in. Yeah, exactly. Um, He fled the scene after removing Kyle's child from the closet and tying the two of them up with handcuffs. Mm. So then on July 2nd, 1985, Ramirez struck again when he drove a stolen Toyota to Arcadia, California, and randomly decided to rob the house of 75-year-old widowed grandmother Mary Louise Cannon, whose body was found in her bedroom after being stabbed repeatedly with a 10-inch butcher knife from her kitchen and bludgeoned with a lamp. A few days later, on July 5th, 1985, Ramirez broke into a home in Sierra Madre, California, and attacked a 16-year-old girl named Whitney Bennett with, as I mentioned before, a tire iron. Mm -hmm. But homegirl survived. She needed 478 stitches in her fucking scalp. Oh, God. But she lived. Listen to this shit, okay? Listen to this. So Ramirez is beating the shit out of her, and then he goes into the kitchen to try to find a knife to stab her with. He cannot find one. Like, for whatever reason, can't fucking find a knife. So he grabs an electrical cord and is like, all right, I'm going to strangle her to death. Mm -hmm. He's trying to strangle her. Sparks start coming out of the electrical cord because, like, like a dumbass, he probably forgot to unplug it. And when he saw that she was still breathing and these sparks are coming out, like any God-fearing Satanist, he fled the house believing that Jesus had saved her. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Which, like... I'm not hyper-religious. I'm more spiritual than religious, but, like, something was 100% looking out for her if he couldn't find a knife, which was his weapon of choice. So he yeah. had to resort to this dumbass electrical cord that starts spewing sparks. I would put that thing in a goddamn shadow box and keep it forever. Yeah. But, yeah. So our girl Whitney lived. Then he broke into the Monterey Park home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, who was 68, 60 years old. Um, This was two days later, on July 7th, 1985. Joyce's body was found viciously beaten, and Ramirez had used his hands and feet to do so. Okay. And a shoe imprint from an obvious sneaker was left on her face, um, which is, first of all, just shows how vicious it was, but it allowed the cops to be like, okay, yeah, it's the same guy. Yeah, and he's also not like... Covering, I mean, to use a better phrase, covering his tracks. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yeah. He's like leaving shit behind. Because at this point, the police are not publicly, it's the media is talking about him, but like the police are, are keeping, they're playing their hand very close to their chest. Yeah. Um, so later that day, Ramirez broke into the home of another Monterey Park resident, 63 year old Sophie Dickman who Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed at gunpoint, after which he attempted to rape her and stole her jewelry. And when Ramirez asked her if she had any other valuables in the house, she swore that he had taken everything, at which point he told her to, quote, swear on Satan, end quote. Mm. Which, like, okay, dude. Okay. Yeah. Then, on July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete, Remember, I mentioned that machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. 
He broke into the home of Maxon Neilding, 68, and his wife Leela, 66, who were later found shot and stabbed to death by the machete. Minutes later, Ramirez broke into another home in Sun Valley and shot a 32-year-old man named Chinarong Kovanath in the head in his bedroom, then beat Kovanath's wife, Somkid, and forced her to have sex with him and sodomized her on the bed right next to her husband's body. Oh, wow. Yeah. He tied up their terrified eight-year-old son before dragging Somkid around the house to show him where they kept their valuables. And during the robbery, he demanded that she also, quote, swear to Satan, end quote, that she was not hiding anything from him. Mm -hmm. So Ramirez then broke into the Northridge home of another husband and wife, Chris and Virginia Peterson, on August 6th, 1985. He shot 27-year-old Virginia in the face and then shot Chris in the temple. But Chris fought back when Ramirez attempted to get away and was shot two more times. Both of them fucking survived. Wow. Yes. So then two days later, at about 2 a.m. on August 8th, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California and broke into the home of Sakina Abawath, 27, and her husband, Elias Abawath, 31. He shot Elias in the head and then handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to show him where they kept their valuables, then Mm. brutally raped and sodomized her. He repeatedly demanded that she also, quote, swear on Satan, end quote, and that she also would not scream during his assaults. Mm. When the couple's three-year-old son came into the bedroom, Ramirez tied him up and then continued to rape Sakina. And after Ramirez left the home, Sakina untied her son and sent him to the neighbors to get help. Mm -hmm. So then Ramirez, he'd been following, like I said, he wasn't covering his tracks, but he'd been following the media coverage of his crimes. So he left L.A. and headed to the San Francisco Bay Area. And on August 18th, 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan, and he shot Peter who was sleeping in the head and then beat and raped Barbara before shooting her in the head and leaving her to die. Mm. And then at the crime scene, Ramirez used Barbara's lipstick to draw a pentagram and the phrase Jack the knife on the bedroom wall. Okay. When it was discovered that the bullet and the shoe print, this is, this is where it gets like frustrating that the bullet and the shoe print left at the scene matched those from the ones in Los Angeles, then mayor of San Francisco, whom some people might know, Diane Feinstein, held a press release or press conference to warn the public. And in it, she mentioned the shoe print from the obvious sneakers and the bullets, what, what gun they came from and things like that, which fucking infuriated the detectives on the case because because they hadn't released that information they had not released the information they knew the killer was following the media coverage and so this gave him the opportunity to destroy crucial evidence and they were right ramirez saw the press conference and immediately threw his size 11 and a half obvious sneakers over the side of the golden gate bridge that night before heading back to la a few days later wow 
yeah fucking diane um yeah she she does other good things i promise but just oh fucking diane um yeah so then on august 24th 1985 ramirez traveled 76 miles south of los angeles in a stolen orange toyota to mission viejo that night he arrived at the home of james romero jr who had just come back from a family vacation to rosarito beach in mexico and romero's 13 year old son james romero iii happened to be awake and heard ramirez's footsteps outside the house this is this kid's badass okay he thought there must be a prowler outside so he went woke up his parents and ramirez got the fuck out of there yeah good job well it gets better this kid then ran outside got down the color make and model of the car as well as a partial license plate number wow yes um romero then contacted the police with this information believing his son had chased away a thief and then after this encounter still using that car he broke into the house of bill carnes 30 and his fiance inez erickson 29 through the back door he went into their home or their bedroom shot carnes three times in the head and then turned his attention to erickson he told the terrified woman that he was the night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved satan as he beat her with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet Mm. and after stealing what he could find ramirez dragged erickson to another room to rape and sodomize her then demanded cash and more jewelry and then made her swear on satan again that there was nothing left before leaving ramirez told erickson tell them the night stalker was here yeah so he likes his new nickname yes erickson then untied herself and went to a neighbor's house to get help and surgeons were able to remove two of the bullets from Carnes's head and he survived wow yeah but so this is the same day as romero and so they've got a car make model color they've got a partial license plate then erica is able to give a detailed description of the assailant to investigators and mm-hmm. police were able to get a cast of ramirez's footprint with his new shoes from the romero's house mm-hmm. so then the stolen car was found on august 28th in wilshire center los angeles and the police obtained one single fingerprint from the rearview mirror, despite Ramirez's okay. careful attempts to wipe the car clean of his prints. And he had done this with every single car. They had, they'd found these cars or whatever, but they weren't able to find any identifying information. Yeah, I mean, he'd stolen cars in the past, so he was kind of a veteran at this, so he knew how to yeah. kind yeah. of uh, get rid of the evidence. 100%. But yeah, so the print... Thanks to that arrest I mentioned earlier in the episode where he stole the car, they were able to match it to the one from that arrest. Okay. And were able to identify it as belonging to Ramirez. How fucking wild is that? Yeah, that's just crazy. one just one fluke like little tiny arrest. Yeah. So then on August 30th, 1985, 6 days after his last known murder, Ramirez's identity was released to the public. He was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. They used his mugshot from a December 12, 1984 arrest, and during the press conference, the police announced, quote, 
We know who you are now, and soon everyone will. There will be no place you can hide, end quote. Wow. Yeah, they come in. Yeah. So then the next day, Ramirez, who had somehow completely missed this press conference and was unaware that the police knew who he was and were actively looking for him, hopped a Greyhound to Arizona to visit his brother. Okay. However, he returned the following day after not meeting his brother and calmly just walked past the cops who were waiting for him at the bus terminal. (laughs) Cops did not fucking recognize him. And yeah, I know. So there's idiocy on both sides. And he just walked into a convenience store. Well, I guess they also didn't expect him to be so bold as to walk directly past them because they assumed that he had seen every press conference. So they, They I guess they would be, they were expecting him to be in Greyhound station waiting for him to arrest him when he got off the bus oh they knew he was on that yes yes oh (laughs) yes yeah that is kind of dumb okay that's dumb they've been so on top of things i was like come on guys oops um everybody gets their one i guess so yeah so he goes into a convenience store and inside this lady who had seen his face on the front page of the paper that morning starts yelling el matador which is the killer in Spanish. Mm -hmm. So then he's like, oh, fuck. And he flees. He runs across the Santa Ana freeway. Oh. And he almost ends up getting away. Oh. However, I fucking love this. Yeah, I've heard about this. This is incredible. Ramirez actually ended up getting apprehended by the very people he had spent the last year terrorizing. Yep. So he's trying to get away. He attempted to carjack a woman in broad daylight. This woman does what any fucking person would do and screams for help. And he was recognized by a group of bystanders, some Mm -hmm. of whom even had the paper with his photo in it in their hands. Oh, my God. Yes. So then a chase ensues. It sounds like a cartoon. It really does. Some of them are yelling El Matador. They're all chasing him. Ramirez jumped two fences and tried to carjack two more people unsuccessfully to try to get away. This mob keeps growing. And then they finally, they get to him. They catch him. They beat the shit out of him. They beat him over the head with a steel bar. Head injury number three. And subdued him until law enforcement was able to arrive and take him into custody. Yeah, I love that. I love that story. Love it. It made me so happy. But then it gets funny. So the police arrived, and the first thing they did was open his mouth and check his gapped, discolored front teeth, which allowed them to confirm it was the guy. Oh my god. Other people have shitty teeth. (laughs) Oh, I know, but it just killed me, because it's like, Dear Richard Ramirez, I'm sorry for calling you a gapped tooth, bitch. It's not your fault you're so gapped toothed. That's all I keep thinking of. I'm like, oh shit, oh shit. So, as they drove Ramirez to the police station... He told an officer to, quote, just shoot me, end quote, saying he wanted to die. Ramirez yeah, also... Isn't that something that Bundy said when he finally got apprehended in uh, in Florida after killing that little girl? Baby, you're he the fu- Bundy got, expert, not me. He got, like, tackled by the um, by the uh, arresting officer, and uh, he's like, you sh- I wish you would have just shot me or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, he said something similar. He said all the murders were going to be blamed on him, saying, quote, I want the electric chair. They should have shot me on the street. I did it, you know. You guys got me, the stalker. Hey, I want to play Russian roulette. I'd rather die than spend the rest of my life in prison. Can you imagine the people caught me, not the police, end quote. 
<laughs> like i'm like just shut the fuck up what a talker <laughs> i know he doesn't shut up so then ramirez would later try to recant on this confession no fucking shit you just yeah. said all of the things that they needed um and then the sheriff's deputy jim ellis would later tell ramirez's trial that the killer told him quote can you hear that no is it the night stalker no, I think we just had an earthquake. Did you really? <laughs> it's so exciting to me. <laughs> I didn't like feel it, but I heard like banging, like furniture banging up against the wall. And either my neighbors just had a really quick sesh or we just had an earthquake. <gasps> it's the ghost of Richard Ramirez rattling he your pissed. walls. He well, that's the thing. <laughs> it scared the fuck out of me. I like it was like Felix round two. <laughs> so... As they drove Ramirez to the station, he was like, just shoot me. He wanted to die. He wants the electric chair. And the deputy would later say at Ramirez's trial that he told them, that he told him, quote, I love to kill people. I love watching them die. I would shoot them in the head and they would wiggle and squirm all over the place and then just stop or cut them with a knife and watch their face turn real white. I love all that blood, end quote. So like, mm, okay, hear, boy. Do you hear that? It's him digging his own grave. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but actually. You know what you're supposed to say when somebody arrests you? I do not recall I need an attorney. Yep. That's what I learned from Kathleen Madigan in her comedy special. I do not recall yep. I need an attorney. I learned that from Steve Rauscher, the former head of the University of New Haven Communications Department. I also learned Perfect. that I was to call him immediately. Um, okay. He also told the deputy that, um, Ramirez, not Steve Rauscher, um, told the deputy <laughs> that, Quote, one time I told this lady to give me all her money. She said no, so I cut her and pulled her eyes out, end quote. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's presumably when he cut out, what was it, Maxine Cesara's eyes? Yeah, yeah. And put them in the drawer. That's presumably, they that's were like, all right, yeah, that's, that's probably, probably what, what happened. About. Yeah. <sighs> so, given that Ramirez was a self-described Satanist... It comes as no surprise that he made multiple references to Satan during the legal proceedings. During his arraignment, he held up a pentagram symbol that he'd drawn on his hand to reporters and yelled, Hail Satan. Yeah, it's a very famous picture. It is a very famous picture. Um, his trial began in early 1989. It took that fucking long because there were all the, like, he was making things difficult and then he was like appealing and he was trying to recant yeah. his statement and i'm like just give it up just give up just quit but finally tr goes to trial on august 3rd 1988 the los angeles times reported that some of that some of the employees at the jail where he was being held overheard ramirez planning to shoot the prosecutor with a gun he was trying to smuggle into the courtroom Mm. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside the courtroom, and intensive searches were conducted on all courtroom observers who came to watch the trial. Mm -hmm. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singletary, failed to appear. So they go looking for her. She has been found, or she was found shot to death in her apartment. Ooh. This scared the fuck out of the jury. They were like, all yeah. right, does he, like, know where to find all of us? Did he somehow, was he somehow able to orchestrate this all from his prison cell? Yeah, like, they're does he have the people, like, from the outside? Yeah. 
However, it was ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible for Singletary's death in any way. He didn't instruct. He didn't do it. Well, obviously he didn't do it, but she was shot and killed by her boyfriend, who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. Okay. However, the alternate that replaced Singletary, despite knowing this, was too scared to go home the entire trial. Mm. She was like, yeah, no, fuck that shit. Which, understandable. Like, yeah. Yeah. But so then, in September 1989, he was convicted of 13 murders, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. After his conviction, Ramirez flashed a two-fingered devil sign to the photographers and muttered a single word. Evil. Okay. So, like, all right, dude. And for those wondering, I was like, what the fuck is the devil sign? It's when all of your fingers are down except for your index finger and your pinky finger. Apparently, that's the devil. I have no fucking idea. But I thought that was rock and roll. No, rock and roll, I thought was... Oh, yeah, I guess that is rock and roll. Yeah, isn't that rock and roll? Jesus Christ. Uh, Okay. How white am I? Um, So, Ramirez then went on to, like, go on a rant. Said totally normal stuff. Like, quote... Your boy doesn't shut up. He doesn't, but listen to this shit. This is only some of it. Quote, You maggots make me sick. Hypocrites, one and all. End quote. And, You don't understand me. You are not expected to. You are not capable of it. I am beyond your experience. I am beyond good and evil. End quote. With other hits such as, quote, Legions of the Night, Nightbreed, Repeat not the errors of my father and show no mercy. I will be avenged. Lucifer dwells in us all, end quote. You know, real cute shit. Yeah. It's also... really uplifting. It's giving me some Manson vibes. Yes. Yeah, it is very Manson-y. It sounds like something Michael Bolton would sing to one of his lady lovers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so nearly two months later, during the penalty phase of the trial on November 7th, 1989, which might have been the day my parents got married. Interesting. Now that I think about it. Maybe. Might have been the year before. I believe it was November 7th. It might have been November 5th. I'm a terrible daughter. Anyway, um, he was sentenced to 13 death sentences in the gas gas chamber, with the judge stating that his crimes showed, quote, cruelty, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding, end quote. Which... That sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Ramirez never expressed any remorse. In fact, after being sentenced, he said... Quote, big deal. Death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland, end quote. I remember that quote, yeah. Yeah, see you in Disneyland is pretty popularly attributed to him for good reason. Yeah. Um, he was then believed to have committed other murders and rapes, such as the one of Mei Leung, but was never charged for any additional crimes. Mm-hmm. In a jail interview with reporter Mike Watkiss, Ramirez delivered a crazed ramble, saying, quote, The world has fed many lies about me. I have read very few truths. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times. Even psychopaths have emotions if you dig deep enough, but then again, maybe they don't, end quote. That's literally the definition, is that no, they don't yeah i'm like come he's the fuck giving on. me like he's giving me like manson slash bundy vibes he's giving manson like slash he's bundy crazy vibes, and he sounds like tommy chong yeah 
<laughs> like I'm not kidding. He, when I for, I watched like a couple interviews with him, and I literally was like, "Holy shit, it's Tommy Chong." <laughs> yeah. You know who else could play Richard Ramirez? Tommy Chong. <laughs> Russell Brand. No. No. Really? I think he could. No, absolutely. I think he's not. got crazy eyes enough. Hey, um, like if he was gonna the do world a drama, has been fed many lies about me. I have read very few why truths. He, why is he Australian? I don't fucking know. He's not fucking <laughs> from Texas. Get out of here. Goodbye. I still think you could work out. I still think you're nuts. Ugly. So yeah, but I think we can all agree, Ramirez was a fucking monster. Yeah. Well. <laughs> That would be almost all of us that can agree, because despite oh, yeah. being on this death row part. along the likes of people like Scott Peterson and the Menendez brothers, Ramirez wasn't too lonely. One woman, mm-hmm. Doreen Leoy, sat through the entire trial and still believed Ramirez was innocent. Innocent. Not like, um, maybe he didn't do some of them. No, full on innocent. Yeah. And then she wrote him dozens of letters and visited him four times a week while he was in prison. According to LA Times staff writer Christopher Gofford, she was even one of the first people in the visiting line, more often than not. I I just, yeah, yeah, I just, but it wasn't even knitting. Exactly. Do something else, do something else, anything else. But it wasn't even fucking Doreen. Like it wasn't just her. The I know. San there Francisco, was like a whole crew. It's a whole fucking tribe of them. The San Francisco Chronicle reported that, as has been the case with like a lot of notorious death row inmates, including like Manson we talked about and uh, the others whose names aren't coming to me right now, but there are more, I promise. Um, he received a ton of love letters from various people while he was in jail. Um, but according to The Gate, Luoy was the one who sent him 75 letters over an 11 year period. Yeah, that's fucking crazy. I think there's there's books about this, and uh, there's an episode of Last Podcast on the Left called, um, I think it's called Serial Killers and the Women Who Love Them. Yeah. That they kind of cover this whole phenomenon of like women who are obsessed never, with serial killers. I'm never not forgetting what it's called. There's, there's a thing. Histobrilia or H- something Histophilia, like that? I think is what it is, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Because it's like that bad but also one of the things that these women or one of these women sent him i found it on reddit but then it got taken down from reddit and so then this website called viral nova posted the transcript and the photos that the reddit user posted but i i wasn't going to include it but like it needs to be i hope it's the one that they read in last podcast on the left because i know what that one is and it's fucking hilarious it probably is it probably is because this is actually really fucking funny if you just can suspend your disbelief so here's the full transcription full name richard ramirez date of birth 22860 height weight shoe size 611812 hometown texas marital status single family five Wheels. Lamborghini in the SQ parking lot. Ha. SQ. San Quentin. What the fuck? Brothers. Four. Sisters. One. Most treasured honor. My dick. Perfect woman or man. Me. 
What are you, 12? I know. Childhood hero or heroes. Jack the Ripper. Favorite okay. TV shows. The Munsters, which is fair. It's a lovely show. Yeah. Favorite movies. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Night of the Living Dead. Favorite oh songs. God, you're, so, you're so edgy. He, he would be wearing a black eyeliner in high school with his MySpace page playing like Black Veil Brides so fast. Yeah. So then... Favorite songs slash singers slash musicians, speaking of Black Veil Brides, which are not on here. Led Zepp, Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Ozzy, ACDC, Billy Idol. I'm like, that's eclectic. But Billy Idol gets a mention. That's pretty eclectic. (laughs) I'm like, all right, dark, 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 Billy Idol. (laughs) Loves White Wedding. Loves it. Well, stay tuned. He does love a good White Wedding. Um, (sighs) So his hobbies include... Slicing plus dicing plus spicing up rump roast. This sounds like a shitty MySpace profile. It is. It's literally a handwritten MySpace profile. Wow. Favorite meals, women's feet. Why you wrote me. Because you're Y-O-U-R up on the times or so it seems. And you're Y-O-U-R fine. Okay. Okay. Recommended reading. All murder books, true crime magazines. I mean, that's our recommendation. I was about reading. to say, I was like, so basically, we're <laughs> all Richard Ramirez. Um, last book read, Marquis de Sade, Juliet plus Justine. Ideal evening, full moon, sex plus drugs all night. Every January 1st, I resolve, can't say here, ha. Huh? What? You said you like to slice and dice rump roast. Yeah, but Haley, that very well your favorite could, meal. That very well could mean rump roast. And you know what? Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish, and nobody comes for him for it besides me. I come for him for it. This is That's true. gross. It's weird. Um, I wish I had like a bigger backbone because I would also dox the fuck out of a guy that once DM'd me wanting to know my shoe size, and I was like, "You have a girlfriend?" But he was like, "Come on, what size are your feet?" And I didn't have a backbone yet. And I was like, I'm between a six and a ten. It's really weird. It's just certain things don't don't fit me unless they're a ten or unless they're a six, which is not fucking true, as many of you have probably figured out. But I just fucking panicked. And he was like, oh, that's so strange. I'm like, yeah, and totally true. Don't question it. (laughs) Um, But back to the list. So then it's nobody knows I'm and he just puts question marks, which also same. What the fuck? (laughs) Everybody knows everything about him. Um, My biggest regret. Not carrying a gun at all times. If I were president, I'd (sighs) rule with an iron heart and a rock hard dick. Wow. What I don't like about people. Everything. 99% (laughs) of the people suck. I like most women, though. Me! (laughs) Wow. There's my mind. Uh, Richard Ramirez? Early feminist? What? Um, (laughs) My biggest fear. Nothing. The supernatural, maybe. Okay. Well, given that you given that you fucking shit a brick when you thought Jesus saved one of your potential victims, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Pet peeves? Question mark. Superstitions? Question mark. Friends like me because I ain't got friends. Associates only. Me. He's so fucking edgy. Behind my back, they say question mark question mark because he's probably like, what the fuck? Everybody says everything about me on the news. Yeah. Right. Um. If I were an animal, I'd be a tyrannosaurus. Personal goals in life, question mark, question mark. I'm like, what, to, like, get out of jail? Like, come on. Yeah, right? 
Favorite color, black. Favorite number, 666. I'm shocked. Oh, God, I hate him. Political views, none. All politicians can eat shit. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Thoughts on crime. It's a wheel. You're Y-O-U-R, either the driver or the one who gets crushed by it. Try and avoid altogether? Question mark, which is like altogether abbreviated. But Wait, what was the, the what was the question? Thoughts on crime. Oh, thoughts on crime. Okay. Yes, and so basically he's like, yeah. So you either participate in it, or the crimes are committed against you, or like I guess you could like try and avoid it. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should have thought of this. I don't know, like 68 murders ago. Yeah. Thoughts on drugs. Great, they should be legalized. Thoughts on sex. Oh, sure. Great, everything goes. Okay. Sexual likes slash dislikes. Great. Everything is good. Except fags. <laughs> Women lesbians are okay. Oh. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> sexual likes and dislikes. Oh, we got that. Describe uh. first sexual encounter. Prostitute. I was 12 years old. Another reason okay, why you could be out. fucked up. That's the same story as um yep. Anthony Kiedis. Yep. Um, yeah. I knew exactly what you were thinking, too. I was like, yep, yep, that guy. Yeah, who also had a drug problem. A the difference is one of them developed a band the other one developed a massive coke habit and wanted to kill women yeah what i expect from i don't friendships. think anthony kiedis has killed one woman he has I'm gonna put that out there i don't think he has oh i thought you said albeit anthony kiedis has killed one woman and i was like who no <laughs> i was like who did he fucking kill <laughs> wait a minute we why are we talking about that? this yes what i expect from friendships nothing religious thinking satanic evil motherfucker Ugh. and finally what are you thinking now? Can I suck YR toes? <laughs> he would be sending dick pics if he could. Oh, a thousand. He would percent. be sending so many dick pics if he could. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah. So just to wrap it up quick, because this is probably going to need to be a two-parter. Um, so, so this guy is getting all the attention from the ladies. However, it was Doreen and her 75 letters over 11 years and four times a week visits that won his heart. And it was there in San Quentin in 1996 that the two eventually got married. And there are photos of this. And she's like fucking beaming. And he's sitting there like, okay. Like like that uncomfortable smile you give your uncle when he stares at your boobs too long at Christmas. Yeah, if you are out there and you're single and you're like, oh, I'm never gonna find anybody, just know that Richard Ramirez and Charles had Manson, people, and Charles Manson, and even John Wayne Gacy and Haley and Bundy and <laughs> yeah, I got engaged. Come on, you can you do could it. use San Quentin as a wedding venue. I could. Let's do it. <laughs> Destination wedding. Destination wedding. Oh, it's probably way out of your price range. Probably. Like probably about twenty five to life. Um, but anyway, don't be don't be discouraged. No. You'll find somebody. No. But yeah, so in the weirdest place <laughs> under the, the weirdest circumstances. Weirdest shit. So Doreen co- told CNN a year later, "quote He's kind. He's funny. He's charming. I think he's a really great person. He's my best friend. He's my buddy. I just believe in him completely. In my opinion." There was far more evidence to convict O.J. Simpson, and we all know how that turned out, end quote. Wow. <laughs> and, like, yeah. I mean, I personally think O.J. is guilty, oh, but, OJ's like... O.J.'s fucking guilty, but, like, like we all know that. 
But like, yeah. Doreen, you don't get a fucking say. You married a serial killer. You don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, she's uh, delusional. Something else. Something else. Yep. It's funny you say that because she also claimed that her family had disowned her because of the marriage and that being married to a death row inmate was a, quote, lonely lifestyle, end quote. No. No fucking surprise. Um, relatives called Doreen a recluse who lived in a fantasy world. Her cousin Adam yeah. Yates told the Associated Press, quote, it's pretty sick. Somebody marrying a mass murderer? I think everybody is pretty disgusted. And like, yeah, Adam, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. But Doreen yeah. told CNN she understood that her family disowned her over the marriage, saying, quote, it'd be hard for me to understand if my best friend came to me and said, you know this guy, Timothy McVeigh, who just got convicted? I really think he's cute, and I'm going to write to him. I mean, mm. I would think that's kind of strange. Yeah. Did, did you fucking did it. Timothy yes, McVeigh Timothy, doesn't have Timothy shit McVeigh. on Richard Ramirez. Yeah, he's the Oklahoma City bomber. Yeah. So. Still, still <laughs> terrible, but. But like, um, yeah. So yeah, for many years before Ramirez's crazy. death, Doreen stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. But Doreen ended up leaving Ramirez sometime in the early 2000s. Um, it's believed that she left him around the time that he became connected to the murder of Mei Leung. Because he was, she was nine. He wasn't apologetic about anything, including killing a nine-year-old. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I think we will, I'm trying to figure out if we should just keep going. I've got pop culture left? still. I've got like a couple paragraphs. We can keep going. We can make it. Sure um should i mark that down <laughs> should we take that no. out okay no just let everyone know or keep we're, we're keep, gonna keep going we're pushing through guys uh so because of the complexity of this case the trial record was also nearly fifty thousand pages and this was the most expensive trial before like up until like the oj simpson trial yeah um like millions it cost millions of taxpayer dollars the california supreme court Ramirez appealed. They didn't hear the appeal until 2006. The court rejected wow. his claims, but additional state and federal appeals were expected to take many more years. And while on death row, while these appeals were going through, Ramirez was diagnosed with cancer. And on June 7th, 2013, he died of complications related to B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Greenbury, California. And it was noted by the LA Times that at the time of Ramirez's death, he had other significant health issues, including, quote, chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection, end quote. It's crazy to think that it happened, like, kind of so recently. Yeah. And also, how is this dude still getting drugs? Yeah. Well, two wild prison. things. But yeah. yeah, so he died at 53 years old, at which point he had spent 23 years on death row. And it's estimated that due to the lengthy appeals process in the state of California, Ramirez would not have been executed until he was in his 70s. Oh, my God. Yeah. So better that the cancer got him. L.A. Deputy District Attorney Alan Yokelson, who was the prosecutor that Ramirez wanted to shoot, said to the L.A. Times in response to Ramirez's death, quote, this person hurt many people and our thoughts should be with the next of kin and survivors of these senseless attacks, end quote. Yokelson mm. also said that although the state did not execute Ramirez, who was still pursuing appeals, quote, some measure of justice has been achieved, end quote, because he spent the rest of his life behind bars, which 
I completely agree with, and not just because of my personal feelings on the death penalty versus life in prison, which we've touched upon, but also, yeah, like, we need to fucking remember, let's not forget, when he finally did get arrested, he was literally begging the police for the death penalty because yeah, the idea of spending his life in prison was so much worse. So, if anything, as far as I'm concerned, he got what he deserved. He got exactly yeah. what he didn't want. He got to do his own personal hell. Yep. But yeah. So to pop into the pop culture side of things, I don't know why I said that. Um, in 1989, a TV movie by Bruce Seth Green called Manhunt, Search for the Night Stalker was released. The movie was based on the story of Ramirez and the two LA detectives who tried and succeeded in tracking him down. Uh, the Reels channel also featured Ramirez on an episode of its series, Murder Made Me... <clears throat> I can't speak. <clears throat> um... Murder Made Me Famous in 2017, and they revisited the case and featured interviews with key people in the investigation and trial, including Frank Salerno, who was the lead detective with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department during Ramirez's murder spree. Okay. There's also a bunch of A&E documentaries on Ramirez, one of which... Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. A&E, like, went in on Ramirez. This is, like, their bread and butter. Um... One of these documentaries features an interview with Ramirez, and it goes exactly how you would expect. Um, (laughs) In the documentary, Ramirez tells Philip Carlo, who's an American journalist and author of the best-selling book, The Night Stalker, The Life and Crimes of Richard Ramirez, quote, Some killers will let you live if you talk to them, if you get to know them, if they get to know you. Some serial killers will take pity, while others won't, end quote. What? Cool. <laughs> but then he also was like, I don't have friends. I only have associates. So what is the truth? Yeah. Um, and then Doreen gave some interviews herself. Uh, she appeared on an episode no of the A&E show Biography to talk about Ramirez. And like they were doing an episode on him and she was like coming on and being like, yo, no, no, my man is innocent. Yeah. And then she was also featured in a documentary titled THS Investigates Love Behind Bars, end quote. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I end quoted. There's no quotes anywhere. It's italicized, but I'm just dumb. <laughs> um, furthermore, she used her experience as a journalist to start writing about her husband and wrote a biography titled Richard Ramirez, The Night Stalker. Cool. Yep. That's the thing that happened. So yep. Ramirez has been portrayed on a bunch of TV shows, um, including Criminal Minds, a ton. Uh, one the most notable one though is season five, episode twenty three, which is not only phenomenal because it stars Doctor Doctor Frankenfurter herself, Tim Curry, but mm-hmm. it also makes a lot of direct references to Ramirez, including the killer that Curry plays having a similar mo and being dubbed the Prince of Darkness by the media. Yep. Um, but most recent, as we touched on earlier in the episode, somebody recently commented on our Instagram about it, is the latest season of American Horror Story, 1984, which makes sense since that's the year his first known murder was con- was committed. Yep. And he was also portrayed in an episode of The Hotel Season, which featured a dinner party with tons of famous killers, which is actually pretty coincidental since Ramirez is also portrayed at a semi-annual dinner theater event in L.A. called To Live and Die, with an N in parentheses between the I and the E, in L.A. Okay. During which attendees eat dinner surrounded by actors portraying famous killers and criminals. Don't worry, Haley, I already got our tickets. Oh, thank God. (laughs) 
It sounds incredible. Um, it, it really is. Like, the article that I was reading, it was like, imagine you're sitting gazpacho, and then suddenly Charles Manson, like, turns your napkin into a hat and puts it on your head. And, like, shit like that. It's so fucking weird. And I'm like, we need Excuse to go. Excuse me. Talk about my dream. I was We're like, gonna we have my birthday there. need to go. We need to go. <laughs> we need to go. Yes. Um, but... What people probably best know and associate with Ramirez is the 2016 film The Night Stalker, which stars Lou Diamond Phillips and was directed mm-hmm. and written by Megan Griffith- Griffiths. It's not like most of the portrayals of Ramirez, although because the movie focuses on Ramirez, but more from the perspective of an L.A. attorney who thinks that he's innocent no it is not doreen and she visits ramirez to try to get him to confess to the true story which is that he killed all those fucking people but whatever Uh uh-huh um it has a 5.9 out of 10 on imdb an 82 percent google score and it has a 100 percent rating on the tomato meter and a 47 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes i don't know what the fuck a tomato meter is but okay isn't that just the general rotten tomato score no it's different oh yeah, Wait, I don't fucking know. Because there wasn't even a critical consensus. Um, it's not huh. that much discussed. So, yeah, it wasn't the most beloved movie, but fun fact, the drawings that are seen hanging in Lou Diamond Phillips as Ramirez's cell in the film were actual drawings done by the real Richard Ramirez, which were originally sent to an acquaintance of his. Um, there's also another movie about Ramirez called Night Stalker, one word which came out in 2002 and it did pretty badly across the board um it's got a 3.3 out of 10 on imdb a 77 percent google score and you know it's bad when google's like c um yeah and a 23 percent audience score on rotten tomatoes Oof. but it's one saving grace is that it stars danny trejo as the former partner of the detective trying to nab richard ramirez Oh, wow. Yes, that's all I fucking need. And also, fun fact, Danny Trejo did time. Like, Danny Trejo did hardcore time and then was like, gets out and was like, you know what, I'm gonna be an actor. And I was like, you know what, you can do that, Danny Trejo. I believe in you. I love it. But yeah, he also co-produced the film. So, like, I mean... Yeah. um, There are a lot of pop culture references to Ramirez, basically. But there's one that nobody's expecting. He has a connection to none other than America's sexiest uncle, John Stamos. Interesting. Yes. Tell me more, tell me more. Oh, I will. Oh, I will. Um, when Stamos was like 16 or 17 years old, he met a woman named Doreen Leoy, one of the <gasps> editors of Tiger Beat magazine, who Stamos said helped make him the star he is today. Quote, oh, she wow. groomed me. Stamos said, which also not the best choice of words. Um, But after Stamos got cast on General Hospital in 1982, which earned him a daytime Emmy nomination and put him on the map, which made Uncle Jesse possible. Yep. Leoy began featuring him in Tiger Beat and soon became friends with his mom. He told Entertainment Tonight, quote, she was sort of like a sister and became best friends with my mother. She was a very lonely woman and spent all the holidays with us, end quote. And once it came out, because again, he got famous in 82. So like this was right around the time that Ramirez is getting to L.A. Yeah. Once it came out that Doreen was writing those love letters to Ramirez, though, Stamos shut that friendship down real fast and was like, fuck this shit. 
Yeah, and that would be horrible for, like, his career and stuff, too, Well, right? that's probably why he did it, but also he was like, yeah. Mom, don't be friends with this woman. Mom, She's stop. Psycho. No, I'm just talking to Doreen. <laughs> it's fine. Oh my God. Um, she wants to know if we want to go to her wedding. Um, but regardless, he did include her in one of a bunch of paintings he did that were featured in a gallery opening earlier this year. It was like... Interesting. It was like a portrayal, like a... I don't, I don't know what to call it, like a psychedelic, like, tiger beat thing, and it had her name on it or something. Interesting, okay. Yeah, I don't fucking know. Fucking Doreen, man. But... Yeah, it's nuts. John Stamos isn't the only celebrity to have a connection to Richard Ramirez. Wow. And this one is arguably worse. Oh, Jesus. So, Sean Penn... Like, yeah, that's Sean Penn, Mr. Okay. Robin Wright Sean Penn, human garbage turned human humanitarian Sean Penn, exchanged letters with Richard Ramirez. Wow. Um, because they were prison buddies. <laughs> Is, I guess the best sure. way I can say this. According to Vanity Fair, Penn revealed this during a Q&A at Loyola Marymount University's film school, which, like, not smart, my dude. Yeah. That's something you just don't fucking tell people. That, like, no. Yeah, it's a weird reveal. Yeah, that's something you don't tell people, especially when you know that the media's gonna pick that shit up real fast. But yeah, he did. And this is what he said. Quote, I was down here on Bauschett Street, L.A. County Jail, in the cell working kind of across from him. And after about a month of, you know, seeing each other around and all of that, he wanted my autograph. So he sent one of the deputies over. Deputy came over to my cell and told me, hey, you know, Richard Ramirez wants your autograph. And I didn't trust the deputy because I'd gotten in some trouble inside there. So I said, bring the sergeant down here and I'll talk to him. And if he approves it, then I want to write to him something. I want him to write something first and then I'll write him something back. So the sergeant came down and approved it. And so they went over to Ramirez and said, you know, this guard basically wanted to play Cupid in some way. We were both on 24 lockdown. But so I get this thing from him and it says, hey, Penn, stay tough and hit them again. Richard Ramirez, 666, with a pentagram and a rendition of the devil. End quote. That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. However, he said that the correspondence ended there. Okay. And then he revealed that he doesn't have the note anymore because it was destroyed when his house burned down in 2007. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Sure, Sean Penn. A likely story. All right. But yeah. That's our boo, Richard Ramirez. Not our boo. Not our boo. No. I've gone a little too... My my brain, it's gone. Haley, play us out. All right. So... <laughs> I'm so we, fucking we done. Did, we were afraid that this was going to be a two-parter, but... This ain't. We managed to stick it into one, which is nice. So, you can get all the information from this episode on the website which is crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com yeah it is all the links to our social media is there um i've had a couple people message us on various forms of social media saying they can't find our patreon page i believe it's patreon.com slash crime culture that's the link i I got that's it yes and it's also on our link tree if you can't find it if you scroll a little bit it should be there last i checked it was there the link tree is in the description box of all of our social medias, I believe. And, um, yeah, it's, it's on, um, there's like a Patreon, like little button on, uh, the about section of our website. So, um, you can find it there or I don't mind talking to people like message us. I'll send you the link for it. It's fine. 
Um, but yeah, we have a, a couple of really cool patrons. Um, there's a couple of uh, rewards that you can get for different tiers, which is really fun. And um, if you can't find the Patreon link anywhere, uh, you can just message us. Um, just DM us. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, we get messages all the time, so we'll... Uh, we do! We'll, and most of them are nice. Most of them are very nice. I don't think we've gotten a DM that's, like, horrible. Nice. No, we haven't gotten a dick pic yet. I'm pretty satisfied. Oh, God. I didn't even think... <laughs> I didn't even think that was a possibility. I hope we don't. We're gonna get dick pics from Richard Ramirez. Oh, God. No. From the grave. <laughs> Let me see your feet. Oh, God. Ew! <laughs> I showed you my penis. Please respond. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that he's weirdly formal about the dick pic. I just hate myself. It's fine. Um, anyway. Yeah, and then we've got our socials. Yeah, I think I said They're that. They're all on the link tree. Yeah, everything's on the link tree. Everything's on... Yeah. If you find one of our uh social medias like links to everything is on like the about page of wherever that is yes so. and then we've got a couple we, we've gotten we've got an email you can email us it's crimeculturepod at gmail.com we just got a lovely message from mj and he liked our zombie episode and if you guys like any of our episodes or have any we had another girl we had a lovely lady whose name is escaping me right now and i'm looking because it was an important thing god damn it her name is Lynn, and Hi, she Lynn. had a cool she had a cool little anecdote about Bundy. She grew up during like Bundy running around in Florida yeah. at the height of his escapades. So yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys. Yep. So that's that. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Can you? No, I think we're good. Dope. Tight. That was seamless. Oh yeah, so seamless. <laughs> Alrighty. Oh, wait, yeah, I forgot at the beginning. I said that I would tell my proposal story. <gasps> That's right. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> uh, just do a very I knew we were forgetting version. something, but I figured you were going to remember before I was. I forgot, and then I remembered. Um, Everybody else is, like, screaming, like, we want to hear. It's all Probably right. Not, Most but... people have turned it off. But, yeah. Um, yeah, the spark note version is we went away for our anniversary. 11. Oh, I thought you forgot the number. I was like, I know it. I know. We've been together. Yeah, it was our 11th anniversary. We went to get, we went away for our anniversary weekend because it was a long weekend because I have off for Columbus Day for some fucking reason. So, uh, we went away and we were up in the Lake George area because we're Jersey based. So, uh, we just went upstate for a long weekend and we were rail biking in the morning, which is a thing where it's like, like a little pedal car sort of on a disused railway it's super cute and it was really pretty it was really nice and then we got lunch in lake george uh after that and then nice. we went hiking at this place called shelving rock and it was really nice and we hiked all the way up to the top and there was this beautiful view and and uh, i was taking pictures and then i turned around and he was on his knee it was very yeah. nice it was super cute. Yes, and we had a, a friend, Pierce. Shout out to Pierce, Pierce, who is uh, I can't. It can't be understated how much I love him. That he and also that he's so talented. Yes, he is a very talented photographer, and he, uh, unbeknownst to me, uh, followed us up the mountain and uh, secretly took pictures of the whole thing. 
and yes and he drove what was it three hours yeah, he drove, from he, his home yeah he drove like three hours up there to just to do that for a couple minutes yes. which is amazing and if you are on the east coast and need like photography anything pierce has been featured in the new york post i believe it is yeah um or something like that something like that yeah but he's he's talented as shit and so you can find him at pierce underscore johnston like johnson with a t on instagram and just at pierce johnson on johnston johnston see i'm fucking doing it too um at pierce johnston on twitter and i highly recommend that you look at his very pretty photos he came up here once and he took long exposure shots of the sky when the space shuttle or the the u.s space station was going over yeah the mountains oh god he's he's so so talented and yeah. such a good dude and he's doing a lot of drone stuff now which is very exciting it's very cool to look at incredible yeah incredible but he took our engagement photos and i yeah. love them so yeah i love you i love this relationship i'm so happy yeah so you have no idea now. we need we need to hang up before i cry again okay because i don't want people witnessing that side of me okay i that have no that. feelings only fear no other feelings but fear sounds good yep sounds right just as a reminder we are still in spooktober which means there are two episodes a week so you're listening to this on tuesday gear up for another episode on thursday oh hell yeah oh yeah and we got something very special planned for halloween because halloween's on thursday so Get ready by popular to be demand. Spookified. I yes. think we can say that. Yes. Yeah, I could say it's by popular demand. So get ready. And I'm ready. And have a nice Tuesday. I hate you. We'll see you on Thursday. <gasps> You're the worst. What? It's true. Okay, bye. Okay, well, bye. you know what? You know what? Doesn't doesn't mean that you can't give the people, and by people I mean me, what they want. Nope. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.